Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Let's pray together. Father, please open our hearts, our minds, our eyes to the wonderful truth of this psalm. May it encourage our heart as we re receive the instruction you would have us get from this wonderful uh, portion of Scripture. So please, Lord, open our eyes and our understanding. I pray that your Spirit would do as he's promised to do, that you would make truth known to us, that you'd guide us in your truth. And Father, help us to say the things that ought to be said and to, uh, and to keep from saying things we ought not. Use the words of, um, of your word to change us tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. The Menninger Institute in Topeka, Kansas, once did a what the writer said was a fascinating experiment. They um, identified a group of crib babies who did not cry. Well, if you're going to understand, uh, I've got to explain, so let me do so. It seems that babies cry because they instinctively know that's the way to get attention. Crying is their way of calling out. But these babies that don't cry have been in abusive situations. Um, and because they were, they found that their parents would let them cry for hours on end. They would never respond to their children. And over time, these babies quit crying. It is almost as if they learned it wasn't worth trying. So the Institute wanted to see if they could correct it if they could change the baby who stopped crying. You say, man, that's a wonderful thing. No, it isn't. Not in this situation and not in this case. And so they did this experiment, and they got people from retirement homes and from nursing homes, and every day these people held these babies who were no longer crying and rocked them and cared for them. The object to get the babies to start crying again. And you know, it worked. Physical touch had made a difference. And as important as the physical touch was every day, it was a, a touch of uh, kindness. It was a, a, a touch of, of, of love, of compassion, that made a difference in the lives of these children. You know, um, David in Psalm 142, is longing for God's, God's touch, for God's compassion. And he cries because he knows there's a God in heaven that cares, a God in heaven that's responded in the past. And he can count on that God now in his darkest time to hear and respond to his need. And that's the basis of Psalm 142. Now, uh, it's very probable David is looking back on this time in his life and explaining what had happened. It's probable and maybe very likely that he was in the kingdom thinking back on the time when he was running for his life. When he was in the cave, we read as the title of the psalm. And by the way, that was part of the psalm. Uh, those things that you see as titles 
the, like a Psalm of David and other things were things that were written as part of the Psalm. They weren't the Psalm uh, itself, if you would, not the poetry itself, but it was written as a title to help us know some things that we needed to know. And David was in trouble. And whether he was actually in the trouble, which, which probably isn't likely, or whether he's looking back doesn't matter. What does matter is that he knew he could cry because God would hear, because God was, is compassionate, because God cares. And that is indeed what's going on in this psalm. Now, uh, in order to get us back here, because it's been a couple weeks, we do need to remember something else about the title. Notice what it says there in the title of the psalm. What is this called? This is... Okay. Um, yeah, you say, uh, uh, what? You don't know how to pronounce it. Maskeel is how we would pronounce it, or at least that's how I was told it's pronounced. Maskeel. Now, you remember how many there are, correct? Oh, very good, son. My wife wrote down in her notes, obviously. No, right. So, oh, Mrs. Davis. <laughs> there you go. Great. All right. There are 13 of them. And, uh, and I'm not going to go ahead and read through the list. This is the last one. Now, do you remember what a maskeel is? Okay, it's instruction. It's instructive. There's something for us to learn. It is intended for us to contemplate what is being said and what's happening here and learn from it. So if David is indeed thinking back when he was in the caves and running for his life, and he writes this song expressing the dire times and what he did, then what should we learn from this psalm? I mean, I think overall the primary lesson and the overall message is when I'm in trouble to do what? All right, to cry unto God, to pray, to, to come before the throne of grace and know that there's a God who is touched with the feeling of my infirmities. So that indeed would, would certainly be a lesson to learn um, in troubling times. Uh, what other instruction can we learn? Well, he's going to uh, share with us a number of other things. Um, now, we've already learned about the cry in verse 1, Correct. Now, we left off there. I got a whole one verse done last time, correct? <laughs> yeah, yeah, boy, I, I'll tell you, we always do a good job getting a lot done, don't we? So let me share with you the second point, the second verse, which is this, the complaint he lodges or the conflict that he reveals in trouble. The complaint he lodges or the conflict he reveals in trouble. He says in verse 2, I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. Now, when we complain, what does that mean in our understanding? When your husband complains, ladies, they ne never do that, I'm sure. When your husband complains or when your wife complains, I know that never happens either. What are they doing? So they're complaining. All right. They're dissatisfied with their situation. A lot of times in our understanding, when we see the word complaint, we think of something negative. We think of the person uh, probably not being right with God. The person's unhappy. Um, they may raise their voice. Um, they're probably not uh, um, very happy with the person they're speaking to. But that is not what David did. This is not a complaint session. This is not, God, why did you do this to me? That's not what it means here in this passage. And it's important for us to know this 
because um, it's important for us to realize that it, this wasn't a bad attitude on David's part as he comes before a holy God. No, um, the phrase there means this. When it says, I poured out my complaint before him, he poured out or he spilled forth the meditations of his heart. So it wasn't, God, why did you do this to me? This isn't fair. That was not what David is saying. Uh, what he is saying is that I came to God and the burden I was carrying, the weight that was troubling me, the pressure that was coming down to bear upon my life, he said, I took it and I did exactly what, um, well, he wouldn't have said this because he didn't know Peter at the time, but what Peter tells us to do, cast all your care upon him for he careth for you. And casting all your care upon him, the idea is unrolling your, your burden upon him. So it's I'm giving it to God. And that's what it means when he says he poured out his complaint. He's just, here's where I'm at, God. Here's what my heart is. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what's going on. I'm low. And, and God, I, I, just, I just need you. I, I, I'm crying out. It's wonderful to know um, that when your heart is hurting, you can express it to God. You know, no one else may listen. Have you ever had, have you ever had, you, you tried to share with your mate and they kind of like said, uh, this is, this is the world's smallest violin playing my heart bleeds for you. You know, there's no compassion at all. I know you've never done that to your, to your mate or to a friend or anything like that. But, uh, you know, where, where it didn't seem like anyone really cared. And maybe it was something that really bothered you. Um. It's just encouraging to be reminded from this psalm. And this is a lesson to be learned, that when I have an aching heart, I can express it to God, and I can express where I'm at and, and how I feel and why I feel that way and what, what I just am pleading with God to do. Look, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to pour out your heart before God. The psalmist encourages us to do so, and I... And I got to tell you, when you're in a situation like that and your life is on the line, you're, he's in a cave. And if this is the time when Saul was in the cave there too, uh, I mean, you got to think he's pretty much terrified. And so he, he goes off. I, I don't know. He must have known the caves pretty well. Just goes off on his own. And, he, and, and you, you can, you can kind of hear his voice echoing in this, in this chamber as he just calls out to God, I need you. And God, if you don't do something now, I'm not going to make it. And so uh, I just put the word, um, the complaining logic, I just put expressed. He just poured out his heart. It's expressed. Um, we were at the airport recently, and um, we saw a number of people who missed connecting flights. Um, uh, it was, well, actually, ours was late, wasn't it, or something like that. And so uh, we're at, we're at, we were at, at getting to our connecting flight. Thankfully, we made uh, or whatever it was, and uh, yeah, it was a connecting flight. Um, actually, it wasn't where we were supposed to be, but we were in Charlotte, and um, and there were a lot of people who were missing their flights, and there were people that were coming down to where their flight was taking off, like running to it, and the door was already locked. Plane actually hadn't left in one case, but the door was locked, and so and there was no one there, 
and you could see visibly people that were downright angry about their situation. Uh, there were other people who were distressed about their situation. Now, I don't know because we weren't there and we don't know what happened when they went to actually get to a counter to try to resolve their problem and get wherever they needed to get. And it was late at night, so I doubt they were going to be getting there that night anyway. But I suppose there were two different people that came to the counters. There were people who were distressed, maybe even in tears, because they missed their flight, and maybe they've been in planes all day, and they're just trying to get home, and they realize, I'm not going to get home tonight. And so they come with a, can you do something for me? And then there's other people. You know what I mean? I can't believe you did this to me. You know? Now, who do you think is going to be heard? Who do you think the employees would go out of their way to help? Probably the the lady who has, you know, the tears down her face. Can you do something to get me here, you know, to, to my home? Uh, our attitude has a lot to do with the hearing of people in life. But quite honestly, our attitude has something to do with God hearing. When David expresses that he had that complaint, it's it was a heart attitude that said, God, I'm just, I'm hurting and I need you. It wasn't at all. God, I'm blaming you for this problem. It's God, I just need your help. And um, your attitude makes a big difference, obviously as is indicated here, because the psalmist was confident of what? Look at the end of the last verse. What was he confident of? And I, this just encourages my heart. Notice, when I pour out my heart, what, what can I be confident of? Okay, that God will deal bountifully with me. Now, that doesn't mean that God is going to take my problem away. <laughs> that doesn't mean that, that God is going to, uh, the heartache's going to be gone. Uh, by the way, it wasn't for a while with David. But it does mean um, that God will hear and God will work. And so it's expressed. And then it's explained. Look, if you would, also. He says, oh, my, I'm sorry, I keep looking at Psalm 141. Psalm 142, verse 2. I poured out my complaint before him. And then what does it say in the second part of the verse? All right, another interesting statement. I put expressed for the first point, explained for the second. You say, why? Well, the second phrase tells us, in essence, not in essence, in reality, that he explained. He said, I showed before him my trouble. He explained the situation. Now, I think that's kind of that's kind of funny. Maybe even ha-ha funny, you know, a little bit. Did God not know? Yeah. Okay, so can we take some instruction for th from this? Yeah. Look, look, look. God knows everything. You got David enumerated. That's what it means, show before. He, he explained it. He said, God, this is what's happening. Well, you know, here he is in this cave, you know. He's in this, I, I just kind of see it as like some small chamber way in, in the depths. He knows he's not going to be hurt. He's just crying out to God. He's pouring out his heart. And he's saying, God, this is happening, and this is happening, and this is happening. I can almost see God saying, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thanks. I already know that, David. Uh, but, but that's not it. Someone said this. Um, expressing where we're at and what's going on is really not for God's benefit. It's for ours. You say, what? Well, God already knows. He knows everything. He not only knows the situation, he knows, he knows what's going on inside. He knows everything. All right, so why then would God expect me to express what's going on in my heart and my mind and to share with him what's going on? I'll tell you why. One of the reasons is because it helps us to realize how much we need God. Because in expressing, Lord, this is happening, this is going on, this is taking place, we come to the realization, God, I need you. And in expressing it, um, it helps us. It doesn't help God. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need to be told. But it helps us to express where we're at, but I think more than anything, just to realize once again, Lord, if you don't do something, I'm not going to make it. And so he expresses from his, the depths of his heart, this is what's going on. He, ex, he explains clearly what's happening. Uh, by the way, explaining the problem also might have helped him realize better what he needed from God. Sometimes when I openly, outwardly express in words to God where my heart is and what's, what's going on, it helps me to think through the problem. But it helps me as well to maybe uh, become more clear in what I'm asking from God. Have you ever come and you just were burdened about something, and you're, but you'd never ask God for anything? So in enumerating... This would give David an opportunity to say, you know, here's what I need from God, and I need God, both. And, um, and so, um, you know, we can count our blessings, but we also need to enumerate our troubles to God and let him know what's going on. And that's the instruction, because it's a masculine, right? That's the instruction uh, God would have us to learn. Now, notice, if you would... The, the third thing, the conditions he endured, or, you'll like this, the consternation he experienced in trouble. The conditions he endured, or the consternation. You say, I don't know how to spell that. Uh, Conster and nation. There you go. <laughs> you say, I don't know how to spell conster. I don't either, but spell check. Spelled it C-O-N-S-T-E-R in the nation. You say, I don't know what it means. Look it up. All right, there you go. Const the conditions he endured or the consternation he experienced in trouble. Verses 3 and 4 uh, express that. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, what do we find first? What do we find first? What's that? Thou knewest my path, but what is, what is he, what's the condition he was enduring? What? Okay, he's overwhelmed. So, so yes, God knew his path. We'll get back to that. Actually, we're going to look at that in another point that, that's better, better understood or made. But I put it this way, unbearable load. Um, 
the nut, the, by the way, Psalm 143 is going to give us another picture of the distress that maybe he felt here or, or distress that he could have expressed the number of times in his life. Look, if you would, at verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 143. For the enemy hath persecuted my soul... He has smitten down my life, or smitten my life down to the ground. There you go. He hath made me to dwell in darkness as those that have been long dead. Therefore, do you see something familiar? What? My spirit is my spirit overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is desolate. De desolate. Desolate. It's been a long day. All right. Desolate. Um, all right, so verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 143, uh, the, the word is, is the same in verse 4 when he talks about being overwhelmed. Now, I, I thought it was interesting because when I think of overwhelmed, what, what do you think? Got this huge load, and I'm burdened down with it, and I just can't take any more. That's not what the word overwhelmed means here in this passage. Um, the word overwhelmed means to cover as with a garment. It, it, it's like someone took David and covered him with a garment completely so that everything was dark. And that's how he describes, describes his inner soul. I'm in darkness. Um, that's a terrifying place to be. Because uh, when, when you're covered and you're in darkness, you, you don't know where the blow is coming from next. You don't know what to expect. Um, that seems to be the concept, the picture that the psalmist is giving about his situation, the condition he endured. It's an unbearable load. It's, it's, it's not, he's not saying it's too heavy. It's, a, no, Lord, the lights went out. I'm in utter darkness, and my soul is despairing. I need some light. Um, it's one thing to have outward pressure, but when the lights go out in the soul, it's an unbearable burden. Psalm 107, 4 to 6 says this, They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Uh, the word fainted that I just read is the same word translated overwhelmed here. It's just, I'm in darkness. And really, there's no hope. Um, where is your hope when, you're, when your soul is in darkness? Uh, where is your hope when, when the turmoil is so deep within and you, you have nowhere to turn because you can't see where you're going to go next? From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Those are the words of Psalm 61, verse 2. It seems like the psalmist had a problem like this. And he said, God, you're the rock that's higher than me. You can see everything 
the darkness is light to you. You know where I'm at. You know what's going on inside. You know that I'm in darkness. And I have no way out. And I need your help. I think we can understand that terror, can't we? It's kind of, I, I don't know, what brought to my mind was a murder mystery. Because they they're always the same thing. First of all, someone's in their house. And it starts raining. So always got to be raining in a murder mystery. Always. When when the bad's going to happen. So it starts raining. And thunder and lightning. Yeah, always got to have that too. So so here's this lady or this guy, and they're in this house, and the rain starts, and it gets really dark outside. And so the lights are on, right? But then you see a hand go and hit the switch uh, down in the, at the electrical panel, and the lights go out in the house. And there's panic in the heart of the person who's going to die. You know they're going to die. You know it's coming. You know, and so uh, you you can go. You, they know it's coming because they can hear sounds. The window opens. Yeah. All right. So who's making sounds? Okay. All that kind of stuff going on. All right. But the tension's building, right? And you can see the panic in the heart because now they're in darkness. They can't see anything. All they can do is they hear noises and they're terrified. That, to me, is the picture of what's going on here. And, you know, the end is near, and that's how he feels. Uh, the lights are out. There's, he can't see anything, you know. So what? The knife descends, or the hands clutch the throat, or whatever, you know. And, um, and that's, I think, where he's at. It's too late then, you know. It's all over. And you can imagine the terror of the moment, and that's where he's at. Utter darkness. I know something bad's coming, but my soul can't see it. Um, wow, okay, are you depressed yet? Unbearable load. He goes on, look in verse 3. It wasn't just his spirit overwhelmed, uh, but we're going to pass over, thou knewest my path, and what do we find? In the way wherein I, I, I walked, what's going on? All right, so concealed traps. No, I don't have another you, sorry. Unbearable load, concealed traps. Unseeable traps. (laughs) Unvisible traps, sorry. So come up with something, help me out here, all right? Not only was David's spirit being crushed by the problem, and, and covered by the problem, and he was in darkness, but we find that the enemy had been laying traps for him. Um, David mentions the same in the previous chapter, in verses 9 and 10, keep me from the snares which they have laid for me in the gins of the workers of iniquity. Um, it's frustrating to have your life being crushed out of your spirit and you being in darkness, utter darkness, but it's more devastating to be in the midst of trouble and in darkness, not know up what you're up against as well. And to be walking along the path, you know, in darkness, at, in the house, it's dark. And you know the enemy's there, but you don't know where, you don't know when. You know it's coming. And that's how he describes his trouble, concealed traps. Um, I tell you, it's kinda, that's, that's a, a, a terrifying thing. Uh, we were at, um, in Washington, we went to one of the Smithsonian's, and they showed... Um, uh, some of the things that went on during the Vietnamese War, they had a lot of different 
things that they uh, showed about it. You, you can't see all the stuff in the in the Smithsonian. You know, it's just there's a ton of stuff to see. But they showed some of the ways the Vietnamese used to try to uh, thwart the progress of the Americans. Uh, one of the ways was to take sharp stakes made out of bamboo, and then and it was rather disgusting. But they'd put human waste on those ends. Uh, the sharp bamboo would be placed in the ground or in a trap that would snap, one or the other. The ones that were placed in the ground were sharp enough to pierce through the boot of soldiers. So as they were walking, if they would step on it, it would cut into their foot. Well, human waste would often bring about um, some very serious um, medical needs, and it would mean that a, a soldier would be off the field for a while. Um, it, to me, it would be terrible to be going through a field and being concerned. You don't know what's what's here. Am I going to step on something? Is something going to spring up because I've I've uh, tripped a wire? Is a hand grenade going to go off? Is a landmine? Um, and that's how David viewed it. That's what was going on. The, you know, the, 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 this isn't anything new, you know. Vietnam isn't where they came up with these ideas. Um, men are just wicked and evil. And they, uh, one, of the, one of the things they love to do is terrify the enemy. And that was happening in David's life. It was a harrowing time. Um, setting traps. But to me, the worst part of it is verse 4. And I think it's the worst part for David. And what, what are we told? Okay, he was abandoned by man. Abandoned by men. If having your spirit darkened, crushed, facing the hidden traps of the enemy isn't enough... Uh, you know, I want to say this is the final straw. Because the the writer looked for encouragement, for help, for solace from men. Everywhere he looked, he was treated like a stranger. Frustrating, isn't it? You, you know what he means when he says no one would know me? This is interesting. No one would acknowledge him. David? David who? <laughs> I don't know you. I've never seen you before. That guy? I don't know who he is. Excuse me, sir. I've never seen you before. That's how people treated him. They wouldn't even acknowledge him. So here he is. Soul in darkness. The, the, the traps are all around, and he doesn't have anyone to help him. Uh, that, that uh, I don't know if that was the worst part, but it certainly was a very discouraging time in life. But let me tell you something, because this psalm is not about discouragement. This psalm is about a God who you can go to when your friends turn their back, when, when you're in darkness, your soul is in darkness, and when you don't know where to turn and you don't know what's going to come next. Because this psalm is about a God who knows, who cares, 
and who will deal bountifully with his children that cry unto him. So the masculine, the lesson, the instruction is cry. Even if everyone's forsaken you, cry. Because there is a God in heaven who knows all about it, who loves you, and who will meet your need. He'll deal bountifully. You can count on that. Is that not encouraging? It is to me, and it was, obviously, to the psalmist, because he wanted us to know about the God he cried to. Father, thank you for your word. Thanks for the encouragement it brings. And although we've seen the dark part of this psalm, even in the midst of the darkness of the psalm, there's the encouraging words that you know our path. And there's the encouraging word that you'll deal bountifully. And that when we cry, you can meet the needs of our soul. You can protect our path. And you can be a close friend when we have no friends. And I thank you for that wonderful truth. And may we learn to just cry to you when our lives are in such state. In Jesus' name, amen.